Radio. This is Catholics Read on cradio.org.au. Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. My name is Luke. And I'm Victoria. Um, and Kiara's not here uh, for this episode because unfortunately, uh, well, not unfortunately, I don't know. What would you say? As it happens. As it happens, yes. Um, <laughs> she is currently doing her PhD um, and has a deadline tomorrow. So for the next couple of episodes, we're going to, um, it's just going to be me and Victoria. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so the episode, or rather the the book that I want to look at today um, is a book that I actually um, read uh, a couple of months ago. And look, I'll be honest, didn't finish it. Um, but like, <laughs> I've got my reasons. But that's not because the book's bad. The book is fantastic. Um, and it's called The Cross and the Switchblade uh, by David Wilkerson, uh, I believe is his name, um, who is a Pentecostal non-denominational pastor um, from the United States. Uh, passed away a couple of years. I didn't realize this. He passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, but he's been here to Australia. Um, and basically it follows the story of him in, I believe it's the late 1950s, early 1960s, of him basically, he's a pastor, realising his life's a little bit mediocre, um, throws out his TV and dedicates his life a little bit more to the time that he would have been watching TV to prayer. And he gets this inspiration um, when I think it's he's reading a newspaper article about these young boys uh, in New York who've been convicted for murder. And he gets this inspiration to go and find these boys. And so he packs up, uh, he goes with with someone else to go to New York um, and to go there and basically to go to the courtroom where these boys are having this trial to try wow. and get the, to get them and meet them. And look, this is going to be full of spoilers, so spoiler alert. But <laughs> basically it fails. It fails miserably. He goes to the courtroom and he's like, he stands up and like he gets totally shut down, never meets these kids or anything like that. But what happens is, is that he's then, um, he then, this causes him to have an encounter um, with a number of other um, young men and women who are basically street kids. They're living in gangs in New York in the late 1950s. They're probably in their teens. Um, And they respect him because they see him as the guy who was like standing up for the kids or something like that. Like he wasn't condoning what they did or anything. Um, But they sort of see him as being on their side. And that provides him with a bit of a way in. And so, the story then kind of follows um, him starting this, um, I guess, how would you put it? Like, what what would have been called sort of in the 70s and 80s, like a prayer rally or something like that, um, where he hires out this boxing venue um, and invites all these gangs to come to this venue. And he's basically going to have a prayer rally, like what you would see in American sort of like evangelical movements and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Think um, Billy Graham, like the Billy Graham Crusades or things like that, similar kind of idea. And um, He has this and the first four days, it just looks like it's failing miserably. And then on the fifth day, something changes. Um, And from this, he starts up uh, a group called Teen Challenge, which is a a drug addiction program. Um, Now, mind you, you have to remember here that there was no cure for drug addiction at the time. There was no medical way of cure. I mean, I guess it still isn't, but um, there was no medical way to cure drug addiction. You didn't have rehabilitation programs, I don't think, at the time. This was pretty... Um, pretty rare what he did and pretty challenging. Um, Very broad outline of the story, but the story itself is very fascinating. But 
what I think is really interesting about it and what I want to talk about is basically what I think is the real challenge I think I've felt when reading it. And I think a lot of Catholics would feel when reading it because he's not a Catholic, obviously. He's um, he's non-denominational, Pentecostal, you could say. Um, and just how radical he is in his devotion to prayer and then following up what he receives in prayer. Basically, he prays about things and feels this sense that God is calling him to this and he'll go do it, even if it's insane, <laughs> um, even if he could be killed, which he could have been in these situations. And it just works out amazingly. And how God is able to work with a person who's just open to being to saying, God, what do you want to do with me? I'll just do whatever you want me to do. And it's crazy. Like his, like I said, his his initial journey to New York was a complete miserable failure. He goes back to his congregation, which he asked money from to, to go to New York as a failure and as an embarrassment because he ends up in these newspapers as looking like oh. this crazy, crazy preacher in this courtroom. Um, but he's he just follows what God's will is. He follows what God's will is. And, you know, he prays, he fasts for these things. He's really quite um, quite radical and really wants to be, I guess you could say, as from a Catholic perspective, I don't think Pentecostals would say this, but he wants to be a saint pretty much. Um, and he just wants to give him li- give his life to what Christ wants from him and what the Holy Spirit wants to guide him in. I find it to be a fantastic inspiration because you read this and it is quite challenging for Catholics because we have the fullness of faith, hmm. we have the sacraments, but we don't do that. Or at yep. least a lot of us don't do that. Um and but God, that doesn't mean that God's not going to work with him just because he's not Catholic, <laughs> or he doesn't have the sacraments, or at least most of the sacraments. Um, God works with him because he's available, um, and he makes himself open. And that's just something that I found. I don't know. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Victoria. But just something that I found <laughs> really fascinating and really challenging reading it is that, like, I think we sort of have this mindset um, at times. At least I've had this mindset in the um, as a Catholic that. We very much do have an emphasis on reason and on um, virtue and all those things, which are all absolutely good. But Mm -hmm. sometimes we can, I guess, stifle the work of the Holy Spirit when we start trying to think of things in, I guess you could say, human thinking too much. We sort of think, okay, I've got to plan out this fantastic thing. And if I I do it all to plan, um, it's all going to go well. And that's going to... It sort of doesn't really, um, I guess allow the Holy Spirit to work. I'm not saying that we should sort of be crazy and do silly <laughs> things just because, you know, we uh, we think that God will help us out if we do something insane. Mm. Um, but rather that we can sometimes have, it's a bit of a covert lack of trust in God, that we have, if we have an inspiration for something, um, that we think God is really calling us to do X, Y, Z, but we can think, oh, but I don't have the money for it. Okay, I better throw that out, mm. you know, um, or things like that. And it's quite interesting how reading this book is a real challenge to um, to sort of say, well, you know, we we can. And that's what Christianity throughout history, throughout, throughout the Catholic Church's history has been about, has been about saints listening to the will of God and doing something that seems a little bit insane. St. Francis listened to the will of God <laughs> and did something that seemed a little bit insane. And he's probably since... Christ himself, the most influential person in Western history. Um, wow. That's huge. I think he would be. Wow. I think he would be. I've heard him described that way. It's fruit for thought. Yeah. Food yeah. for thought. Sorry. Food for thought. Well, it's Which will hopefully provide fruit, fruit. of <laughs> thought. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. Did you have anything to... Just, um, 
Did you have any thoughts? I don't know. I've just lumped this no. on you because I didn't actually tell Victoria what the book was about before <laughs> I went in. So I'm hearing what you're hearing. This is real time revelation real time. of what Luke, what Luke was yeah. going to do for this show. Cradio um, Live right here. Cradio Live. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think the thing that touched my heart, I think, the most about what you were saying was that um, – Yes, being Catholics, we have we have all the sacraments, and you know we have beautiful things like confession and things that can really strengthen us, like the divine office. We've got it all, really, and we've been, you know, for those that are given much, much is expected. And I think Catholics have a lot more to do. Myself being <laughs> the main offender here. And um, me too, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well, maybe all of us being the main offender. Um, Because, yes, we've been given so much and I think a lot of the time we are quite, uh, we're quite sensible. Maybe that's not the word I want, but like, no, sensible is not the right word. Um, I I think, I think you're (laughs) onto something there because I remember, I remember reading, (laughs) I'm not going to repeat it because it's a little bit, it's not particularly, um, I guess you could say it's not particularly ecumenical, but (laughs) Hilaire Belloc saying something along the lines of, um, Saying something along the lines of like, oh, what was it? Like, um, Catholicism is for all the crazy and ridiculous people, and if you want, sen- if you want to be sensible, be something else. That wasn't <laughs> what he said. Um, but you know, I'm not gonna. No, what I what I mean is, but like in that, yeah, in yeah, that sense, I'm not. Yeah. Sensible is not the word that I want. I'm uh, I'm at a loss for the word that I do want, and it will come to me, you know, while Calculated? I'm having breakfast or something. Like, um. Perhaps you were getting onto something in terms of saying not as trusting because I have Protestant friends and they um, they have done some pretty trusting things, given away a few years of their life to do something. And obviously I have Catholic friends that have done that too, Luke being, Luke being one of them. Um, but I think something I find challenging is that we have all of this and it is very easy to get quite um, self-righteous and snobbish, I think, as a Catholic. Sometimes mm. when in actuality, if I'm, if I'm looking at what I see around me, a lot of my Protestant friends who are in Protestant communities, I think can teach me a lot about community, can teach me a lot about, um, just being really, what's the word that I want? Um, inviting of Christ into their lives and really like easy to, you know, they talk about Christ with their friends and, you know, they'll just say, let's just start praying now. And I think sometimes Catholics aren't as much like that. And I think this zeal for evangelization, I think, is something we can definitely learn from them as well. So I don't know what point I was making. Just just the fact that it's yeah, something, It's it was touching a sore point when you were talking about that because it is something I've had to think about a lot and you know we do have to i think we do have to ask our protestant brothers and sisters how can we you know in ecumenical way as well how can we fix all of this because there's so much we can learn from them there's so much they can learn from us um i think we can (laughs) christ deserves more (laughs) we need to be doing more and i I you know I think that that it's interesting. I was doing an interview recently um, with with the executive producer of a uh, of a film called Fearless, which is a documentary mm. about um, Catholics who are taking up the call of Pope Francis to be fear- fearless, spirit filled evangelizers. Um, oh, was the so term cool. that he used, um, and it's very, I guess, very much about people just going out on the street 
and just praying with people out on the street, inviting wow. people in, sort of like um, like night fever kind of, praying for healings and people getting healed. Stuff that you would think only takes place in like Pentecostal churches, maybe. Um, but Catholics going out and doing that. And so a point that he made that I found quite interesting was that we've we've done, I guess, sort of I'm adding my own things in here, but we've done well in the Catholic Church to very much emphasize Eucharistic adoration and Marian devotion. And those things are awesome and brilliant um, for the new evangelization. But we're still missing one thing. Um, and the one thing I think is quite vital, and he, he describes it as the power of God, um, and that... Eucharistic adoration and Marian devotion are both fantastic things for people to uh, to feed their faith once they've once the door has been cracked open a tiny bit with an encounter. Yes, mm. but the but what we need to do is is we need to also allow God to crack that door open a little bit. Yeah, um, and the way that we do that is through like what David Wilkinson was doing. Wilkinson was doing uh, in the cross and the switchblade, and that is going out there and bringing Christ to others. And it's hard because we can be a little bit embarrassed. We can be, it can be very difficult to trust, um, to say, you know, if I'm like, I want to, I think God wants this person to be healed. And you're like, what if it doesn't happen? Like, what if it doesn't happen? I'm going to look like a massive idiot. Um, and it was actually very providential that um, today, in mass today, actually, the, um the reading uh, was actually from Acts 3, um, and it was where uh, St. Peter and St. John are, are walking up to the temple, and there's a beggar uh, on at, at the gate, uh, and he basically asks them for money. And St. Peter says to him, and I'm quoting from the ESV here uh, in Acts 3, um, 6 onwards, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Um, and the man gets up and starts walking. And sometimes I think we can get into this mindset that's like, oh, well, these are biblical stories. They happened way back then. But I think that sometimes we can get into a bit of a mindset, and it's a very dangerous mindset, of almost like that the church is a little bit of like a historical society. You know, <laughs> that like these things happened back then, you know, but, but that doesn't happen nowadays, you know, but we remember what happened back then. You know, um, but things change over time. And it's like, well, no, like there's there's no reason. There's no particular reason why things should be different now than they were then. Uh, the only difference between St. Yeah, Peter and St. John yeah. is that they're bishops, but also mm. that they we believed li- it would happen. They believed it would happen. Yeah. Absolutely. And it wasn't them that healed them. Like mm. Luke, you know, doesn't have any capacity to heal anybody, but Jesus Christ does. Um, and I think that our Protestant brothers and sisters, particularly our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, do have that faith. And that's why God answers their prayers. You know, um, it's just like it provides us with such an opportunity because, like I said, we have the fullness of faith. And Pentecostals are seeing that. We're seeing conversions from from Pentecostal communities into the Catholic Church. There was even, I was reading last week about a um, 
a group of Pentecostals, I think like 20-something, that were received into the Byzantine Catholic Church. So cool. Um, That's awesome. I'm not sure what drew them to the Byzantine Catholic Church, but they're still Catholic. There was maybe one in the area, and the liturgy is incredible and very ancient and beautiful. Yeah, it was possibly the very ancient apostolic nature of it. And if they were reading reading Eastern Church Fathers, they Mm. probably were able to see very much. Um, the connection there. Maybe they had a penchant for iconography or something. Maybe. I don't there's know. Some, there's some serious yeah, iconography in the Byzantine right. It's awesome. And I think that that's, it provides a lot of hope. Although this book does provide a challenge, it's not an insurmountable challenge. It's not as though the theology of David Wilkinson when it comes to evangelization is heretical. Um, there are some things in the book that are a bit like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. But they're not related to what I'm talking about. You know, this whole idea of evangelization through trusting in God, through giving ourselves completely to God and desiring holiness and desiring to be a missionary. At the end of the day, it's what we're called to. It's like what C.S. Lewis um, said about, what is it, that um, Christianity is, is either of the most importance or of no importance at all. But the only thing it can't be is moderately important. (laughs) And it's true. Like, when you think about it, like, we've got to remember that reality that if our faith is true and if what the Gospels and the New Testament says is true and we take that very seriously, what would our lives look like? So, I do recommend reading this book. I think it's fantastic. Um, And I do think that this year, given given that um, that he's a Pentecostal um, and that this has been encouraged um, and approved um, by, at the very least, our last three popes. Um, And this year is the 50th, interestingly, the 50th anniversary of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, um, which is quite interesting. And this book was in its very early days um, when there was a weekend retreat where the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, I guess you could say, was born. Um, This book was one of the influential texts in that. It was one of the readings for the retreat that the priest... Um, I think he was a Holy Ghost father, um, which is also quite interesting, um, recommended that they read in preparation for the retreat. But, yeah, so go out. I I recommend that you read it. It's probably super cheap because, like, I think they just want to give this book away. Um, And, yeah, like I said, I recommend reading it and trying to implement it in your own life. Trust in God. Um, this plus the Catholic Church is awesome because the Catholic Church provides you with community. It provides you with the tradition. It provides you with the sacraments. It provides you with the best opportunity for an encounter with Christ. So, you can't. You, well, I don't want to say you can't go wrong. But if you, if you stick with the church, <laughs> you can't go wrong. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. that's mm. That was really only one really large point. I was, <laughs> it was okay. mostly Sometimes me talking. You just need one you good point. Well, I don't know. Just a closing statement would be that, you know, it's fantastic to get inspiration from everywhere. And I think sometimes the danger for people uh, with temperaments such as myself is that you read that and you think, well, I've got to be exactly like that. Mm. I need to now move to New York Mm. and go and counter the gangs. And, like, do you get what I mean? But... And it's, oh, it's such a simple idea, but I just obvi- I forget it each time I read something or watch something or hear something inspiring, that you're meant to take that and, you know, obviously recognise the need to do something, pray about it, and you might be surprised you're meant to do something slightly different. But the call is always the same, and that is to, to, serve, um, to serve God. 
So, yeah, if you're someone a bit like me, don't, don't get too downhearted when you hear all these inspirational things because you don't need to do exactly the same thing as someone else. Mm. If someone is out there, you know, writing the next best theology PhD, you don't have to do that. Your thing could be um, having weekly morning tea with the lady, the really lonely old lady down the street. Like, they're both important. So, yeah, so don't get discouraged and, yeah. and pray. Pray about what God's will is for you every single day. Wonderful. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, and I think the the takeaway message from this is, yeah, desire for holiness, desire to do God's will. Don't be too hard on yourself. But having that openness and desire to do God's will, even if it seems a little bit insane, hmm. because I don't know about, I don't know, like, is there a saint whose whose life story involves them just doing some regular sensible thing in a very sensible kind of way. Like most saints did something a little bit crazy, even if they're like <laughs> Saints Louis and Zelie Martin or something like that, who were a married couple who had a bunch of kids. Like they were still pretty radical. Um, I don't know. I'd say we're all pretty radical, you know, eating bread that's not bread and it's actually gone. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a bit crazy to other people. It is. But um, I mean in, ter- in terms of like the stepping out I and see, that I desire, see. that that desire to live, like I said, that, that desire for holiness. So, which is, well, yeah. It's even a radical thing to talk to a stranger nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. So. <laughs> absolutely. Even, even that, even like walking down the street with a smile on your face is pretty yeah, radical because people will think... Well, that person. Well, actually, yeah. it's not necessarily that people will think you're crazy. It's that you think that people will think you're cra- <laughs> crazy. That's generally, I think, how it works. Like, if I saw someone happy walking down the street, I'd be like, oh, I wonder what they're happy about. Whereas, like, if I'm like, I, I might, I, I find myself maybe smiling or something, I'm like, just stop smiling. People are going to think you're crazy. But anyway. <laughs> I used maybe. to listen to a, a funny radio um, show, like a uh, playback podcast um, on my way to high school. And it was so funny that I would quite often be laughing out loud on the packed Sydney rail trains. I'm not sure if you've ever been on Sydney rail trains. You are quite literally a few centimetres away from someone else's face. It's they're just it's sardine yeah. cans. And so, yeah, after a while, I actually started not listening to them because I just uh, thought that I looked insane. But to be honest, perhaps that was the only laugh they heard that morning. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, so... We'll finish up there. Mm. And um, in the next episode, what are we going to do, Victoria? What's the, oh, what's um, we are going to look at Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen. Oh, Jane Austen. Yay. She was going to come in at some point. She was. I can't believe it's taken this long. It has. It has. <laughs> but, but she's here. Better late than never. All right. So we'll have Sense and Sensibility in the next episode. Bye. Bye. That was an episode of Catholics Free from cradio.org.au.